The scripture this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians 10, chapters, um, verses 23 to 33. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's, other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that many may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, I thank you for Dindi and I lift her up to you this morning. I thank you for her commitment to you, for her commitment to this church. I thank you for the words that you have spoken to her this week in preparation. And I pray, Lord, that you will just anoint her now, Lord, that you would speak through her your words of truth and life, that you would open our hearts to receive what it is you want each one of us to hear from you this day. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Di, and thank you for the honor of being able to speak with you this morning. This is a quite a subject, right? True freedom, or freedom of the believer, pardon me, sometimes it's called. It's an exciting topic, and I think everybody probably, at one point or another, has wanted to say something about freedom, written a book about it, poetry, songs, lots of songs about freedom, stories, everything, films, I mean, you name it, everybody knows what freedom is really supposed to be. But what we want to talk about this morning, and we're only going to touch on a subject that is huge, is true freedom, biblical freedom. What does it look like? How do we find it? How do we know what to do about it and how to walk that way? Now, I don't know about you, but some of you know our um, past, Mark and I. We were part of the hippie generation. That means in the 1960s, we were turning the world upside down, but not for Christ. Okay, just turning it upside down for the sake of doing it. Because rules were, you know, we were done with those. I mean, we didn't need those at all. Freedom meant no restraint, no law, no rules, tired of it. In fact, the rite of passage, you might say, or the way that you knew that you were truly a hippie is you got into big arguments with your family, especially your parents. That's how you knew you were for real. And the arguments would go, pardon me, something like this. You're saying to your parents, 
Why do we have to work from nine to five? I mean, who created that idea? Whose idea was that anyway? And of course, your parents are busy fainting now. This can't be my child that I raised perfectly speaking like this. And then maybe we'd say, and what about this, you know, working every day? I mean, who says you've got to do that? Is there a law someplace? Did somebody see it written in the sky? You know, where did it come from? And the parents are just, oh. And then you say, to top it all off, who said we have to work anyway? I mean, we just want to live off the land, grow our own food, make our own clothes, And lots of people did that. In fact, when I met Mark, we were each on a separate commune in Colorado. There were four. He was on one, I was on another. And yes, that's what we were doing, living off the land, making our own rules, really. I mean, each of us had been brought up with some rules, so they kind of clung to us, really. But we pretended like we didn't have any. And then, that's one extreme, and it's called antinomianism, meaning no law at all. That's one extreme. The other extreme is people who have lots and lots and lots of laws, and they figure you can kind of guide people into the truth if you just make enough laws to keep them from falling over the edge. Now, I didn't really know this very well myself, but when we became believers, we had a pastor that grew up in a church where there were loads and loads and loads of rules, and I guess he was kind of a rebel type because he said they had rules for everything. So he would look to see where there was an empty spot where they hadn't made a rule. So one of the rules he told us in church was that when you're with a girl in a car, you're sitting in the car driving along or sitting in the front seat, you're not supposed to kiss her. But he said they didn't tell us about the back seat. (laughs) You know, he was always looking for something. That's what happens, isn't it? When you've got tons of rules, you're always looking for the one they forgot to make or forgot to enforce. Well, that's not, that's not the way we're supposed to live, is it? One extreme or the other. But you can understand why maybe the Corinthians had a problem with this. And we know that they were asking questions because there's quotes. If you look at verse 23 that die in the section Di just read, there are quotes there. And this one says, you know, I have the right to do anything. The version I've been using is a little earlier NIV. It says everything is permissible. You're probably familiar with either one of those. The point being, that is their question. Paul, isn't everything permissible? I mean, we've come out of our backgrounds. We're we're now believers. We've heard about grace and the Holy Spirit. Why do we need anything more? I mean, isn't that freedom? Well... It is, to an extent, but Paul is going to help them understand the depth of kingdom freedom, which is not as simple as just ignoring the rules or making your own or anything like that. Now, one of the things I thought was interesting when I was looking at this chapter is the part we didn't read, the beginning of the chapter, talks about warnings from Israel's history. And I kept thinking... I know Paul is brilliant, absolutely brilliant, or was, and I respect him totally, and I figured he had something in mind when he wrote that, that connected to freedom. And I needed to understand it somehow, because it's a warning. He says it's a warning for them. 
Well, I think I understand a bit of it, and maybe there's lots more, and maybe you'll come up with an understanding I haven't yet. But what I think was happening was it's the story of the Exodus, okay? And I've told some of you before that, I mean, I grew up, we observed Passover at my aunt's house every single year. We told the whole Exodus story. We read it every year. And as far as I was concerned, that was the most incredible miracle that ever happened. When I was age 30, I became a believer in Christ. And even at that point, I still believed that the Exodus and the deliverance from Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea was the top miracle ever. That's what I thought. And I still believe it is one of the greatest, but I now know that Jesus' death and resurrection is the top miracle for real. (laughs) Now, what was the Exodus about? What was going on there? Well, lots of things, but freedom, freedom from slavery and coming into the promised land. And there are a lot of people that still celebrate Passover, but not necessarily following the story exactly. They just talk about freedom. That's a big part of what happened. The only problem is that as Paul gives them a warning, he says there's just a big problem that happened here with this story of Moses. The hearts of the people were set on evil. The hearts were not changed. So Moses could bring them out of Egypt but only Jesus could get Egypt out of the inside of them. Only he could do that. Moses couldn't do it. And you know how we know for sure, because Hebrews 3.3 tells us, Moses, excuse me, Jesus is of greater honor than Moses. That may not seem important to you, but it's very important to the people who believe that Moses was the greatest. Very important. So, Jesus is the only one that could transform them on the inside. So I believe Paul is saying to the Corinthians, look, this is a warning for you. You need transformation. You need to really get a hold of real freedom. We all do. We all do. You probably know the verse in Isaiah 30, verse 21. Remember, it says, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. That's what the Corinthians needed. They needed the voice, but not just behind them, within them, inside of them, guiding them. But they thought, why do we need guidelines? I mean, again, as I told you earlier, they probably said, well, we're free. Why do we need this? Well, I want to read to you a couple of things, a couple of scriptures. First of all, In these warnings, I really believe it's like saying we need some parameters, some, you might say, fences. Because, you know, we're we're led by Jesus to green pastures. We're nourished by the great shepherd there. But, you know, if we stray too far to the edge and then we can go over the edge, we might fall over a cliff. So in our freedom... There's not meant to be restrictions, but protections. Protections. It's for our good. It's not to hold us back or to tell us that we're we're sinners and we'll never change and we need a law to make us better. It's not that. So I really believe Paul was teaching about freedom, but he was teaching about freedom for the believer. It's a little different. Now, here's a couple of scriptures for you. 
1 Corinthians uh, 8 and 9 also talk about this a little, and even chapter 6. So this is from 1 Corinthians 9, 21, which Robin covered last week and Jason 8 the week before. 1 Corinthians 9, 21 says, I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This one is very helpful. Romans 8, 32, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So there's two kinds of laws, you might say. We don't want the law of sin and death. That's the old self. We want the law of the spirit of life, which sets us free. Now, here's one that really can set your mind spinning. (laughs) James chapters 1 and 2, two times the exact same uh, phrase is used. The perfect law that gives freedom. The perfect law that gives freedom. Now, how many people here have ever heard the word oxymoron? (laughs) How can a law give freedom? You know, it would seem like impossible. An oxymoron, by the way, if you don't know that word, is two things being put together that don't seem like they'd ever go together. Law and freedom seem completely opposite. But not if it's the perfect law that gives freedom, the law of Christ, which is not meant to restrict you, but to protect you and guide you. Okay? And this is just touching the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's lots more to be said about freedom in Christ for the believer. But I wanted to mention those things so you'd have an idea of what Paul is dealing with and why he feels justified, I think, in talking to them about this. Now, The section that Di just read, I believe there's three different things that we are to ask ourselves. Three questions having to do with freedom. Basic questions, okay? And you can go back and look at it later. First of all, how does my freedom affect me personally? Secondly, how does my freedom affect other people? And thirdly, and most importantly, really, how does my freedom affect my witness? or my relationship with God. So let's ask ourselves this, and you can kind of parse it for yourself, look through it when you have time. The three questions we're to ask about ourselves is when Paul says, I have the right to do anything, or everything is permissible, the first thing he says is, is it beneficial? Then he says the same thing, is it constructive? And in chapter 6, it says the exact same thing. It says, you have the freedom to do anything or everything's permissible, but am I a slave to it? Has it mastered me? Those three questions are good gauge to ask yourself when you wonder about making a decision about something. Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? And am I a slave to it? Now, probably the classic example, you have the ability, you have the freedom, it's permissible to run out into the street at any time, isn't it? Right? You can walk, you can run, you can skip, you can do whatever you want. Don't even have to look anywhere, just take off running. Is it beneficial? (laughs) 
when that car comes barreling down on you? Is that a good idea? No. You make a decision. I think I will look both ways like my mother taught me and all that. So that's an example. Not everything is beneficial. It's permissible. It's not constructive. My goodness. You know, (laughs) it's not a good idea. There are plenty of things we can do, we're allowed to do. We're allowed to eat anything we want at any time. Who's to stop us? If it's in the refrigerator or the cupboard, we have it. Just go ahead. And then watch yourself and think, wow, you know, I don't look the way I used to. I don't, I, wow, I look at those old pictures and I look completely different. Well, maybe it's because all I eat is French fries or, you know, whatever. You're allowed. Nobody said you can't do it. We're adults. We can make our own decisions. Well, let's try making some good ones that are constructive and beneficial. Now, as far as being a slave to things, here it gets a little touchy, doesn't it? There are a lot of things that we have to be careful not to go over the edge. And, of course, the big example would be the Internet. It's wonderful. We all use it. We love it. We look up things. We learn things. We communicate with one another and so on. There are also dark things. There are things we shouldn't touch. There are things that if we go over that fence, that boundary, that warning light, we fall off the cliff. Many have done so. And we don't want our hearts set on evil. We want our hearts set on things above where Christ is hid with God. That's what we want. And if we do not do that, we can think we're free, but we're really slaves. We're really slaves. And that's why I believe Paul says at the end of chapter 9, I make my body my slave. Because we can tell our body, no, too many french fries, stop, you know, (laughs) no. Now, all of us fail in this. Please believe me. I will not tell you that I have this all down pat. You know, we fail, but we've got to have a goal. We've got to have something to look towards. We've got to have an aim in life. We've got to look for true freedom and mastery over the things that hold us back and that make us enslaved to them. And that is not what we want. Now, the area of other people. You know, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees always trying to trip up Jesus. So the Pharisees said to him in Matthew 22, okay, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I really think loving your neighbor kind of applies here. As myself. I'm taking care of myself. Oh, good. I'm finally, you know, mastering a couple of things. But I don't have any time to worry about anybody else. I'm just taking care of number one. Right? We've all heard that. That is not God's plan for us. And we all, again, can fail in these things, but we must think about our impact on other people. We must, because they are noticing us. Has anybody ever had a situation where somebody comes up to you and says, you know, maybe somebody you didn't see for a long time, and they say, 
Oh, it's great to see you. I remember what you said to me the last time I saw you, and they reel off something you cannot remember you said at all. But they do. They do. They remember you said it. And I think, thank God it was not bad advice. (laughs) You know? I mean, what if they remembered something you didn't want them to remember, you know? But they do. They do. And so there are three questions you're to ask here that are covered in this chapter and in the ones preceding. Does it cause other people to stumble? Am I seeking my own good or the good of others? Is it good for them? Is it helpful to them? And does it lead to their salvation? Will it make them stumble? Is it for their good? Does it lead to their salvation? Now, in this case, it talks about meat. You know, you go to somebody's house and they feed you something, and you're free. All food is clean. Jesus said so. Mark chapter 7, he said so. So it's okay. Start eating, and there's somebody else at the table, and they say, um, excuse me, but did you know that that meat was sacrificed to idols? And you're like, no, it's very tasty. Does that mean I shouldn't eat it? You know, and you kind of have to ask yourself, well, what's your gauge? Is it going to cause them to stumble? Is it for their good? Is it leading to their salvation? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, better not eat it. Now that's, you know, in Corinth's day, they were asking that question. We have questions like that, don't we? We live in another culture. There are some things we need to consider. There are times that people might invite you to a meal or to something, and it's a little different from what you're used to, or any number of things can happen, but we need to ask ourselves, when they look at me as a Christian, what's their impression? Is it good? Am I shining the light of Christ? Or am I shutting it down and causing them to look in another direction? Oh, those Christians, they're always whatever, you know. We don't want that. Um, when we go back to America, we visit our family, of course, and they're, most of them, several of them, live out on the west coast of America, some California, some Washington State, uh, Seattle area, and boy, they're so advanced. They say things like, where did you get that coffee? Uh, did you buy that coffee again? No, it's not fair trade coffee, because we've got to get coffee where the people are treating the people who work in the fields, treating them right, paying them a good wage. Where did you get that clothing? Not from that store. No, nobody wants to go there anymore. They're terrible. They don't treat their help very well. Like, okay, I am causing them some real problems here. (laughs) You know, this can happen, and we need to be considerate because we're always trying to witness to some of our family that don't know the Lord, maybe you do the same, and I have to think, Okay, how is this going over? You know, we have to think of these things. We don't want people to stumble. Of course, the classic example is somebody, and maybe you've heard this too, who um, becomes a believer after being an alcoholic. But now they're zealous for Christ, and they are going to go into the bar and witness for Jesus Christ. Well, there's nothing wrong with that unless you've just come out of that lifestyle and somebody's watching you and they're thinking, gosh, I thought they became a Christian. I guess Christians 
go into the bar and drink with everybody else. It doesn't matter that. I guess they're free. I heard they were free in Christ. Well, it's not to say that you never go into the bar and witness. Jesus ate with publicans and sinners, but that was Jesus, and he had his body under control. We can do these things too, but it needs to be done properly so that the people watching us understand This is a group that's all prayed up and they're going into witness or something like that, you know? But not just a guy who just came out of that lifestyle and could be captured by it again. So these are all questions to ask yourself. And now the biggest question of all, does it glorify God? Does it glorify God? Am I pleasing him or myself or even somebody else? more than I'm pleasing him. So that would be verse 1031. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You remember uh, Romans 14, which also covers this whole topic. So read that if you have time. Remember, we used to sing Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not eat or drink but righteousness, peace, and joy. The kingdom of God is not those things. We should be able, and it's very hard sometimes, but we should be able to say no if things are causing people to stumble, if they're not good for us, and especially if they don't glorify God. The true freedom of the children of God is different from those who would have no laws at all or those who want many laws to try to restrict us. That's not the kind of freedom Paul was talking about. And if we put God first and others and look even for our own good, we can say with Jesus in John 8, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to say thank you for the freedom in Christ that you've given us. Teach us to walk in your path. Let that voice, not just behind us, but within us, say, don't go to the right or the left, go straight ahead. Teach us, Lord. We're your people. Lead us to green pastures. Lead us to places of nourishment. Keep us from the edges that are dangerous. And help us to follow you with all of our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen.